Welcome to Ancient and Justified. MTV Party Zone, isn't it? With me, James Hyman. And with me, Simone Angel. Hype, 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 hype. <laughs> see, see, look how young he looks there. It's amazing. You right? That was, that was ID magazine from 1994. So that wow. was 25 years ago. So if Hype's going to tell you that he's still in his 20s, <laughs> still looks good. Yeah. He does. He hasn't so it's changed hype. that. It's time. He hasn't changed that much. No. I've been I've been following him on social media and uh, Do you look you know, at his like, Instagram? Yes. So like all of us, he's very aged, funny. He's aged a little bit, but he's he's okay. Yeah. He's good. I think he looks great. Now look, in the party zone days we hung out with him quite a lot. We used to bump into him at these raves. Do you remember that meditation German rave in the forest? Oh my god. Should ask god. him about that. I mean, do you get stuff like that still so beautifully raw that was so good you, you probably know- i mean you do but how you know again no phones uh, we were the only cameras probably at that event you know the thing i remember when hype was djing at that gig and he wasn't on until like i don't know four in the morning or something and on the one hand mm. i didn't want to stay up but at the, i also really wanted to watch him and i remember i pushed myself i stayed up and it was one of the best sets i have ever seen i mean that guy is such he's a magician on the decks sure. it's just amazing what what he was doing i i think it's because his background was in scratching wasn't it absolutely he was a right if i remember correctly this is quite geeky he was the feeder at one of the dmc mixing chambers he fed the records to who was it was it not Cutmaster swift i can't remember who it was it was mm. reckless I think if you dig out a really old DMC, you'll see Reckless. And, but yeah, Hype in, in himself is a champion scratcher. And yeah. all those interviews you would read, quite right. That's, that gives him the magic, for sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Look, look, look at some of these I dug out. Look. Do you remember that magazine, Eternity? Wow, cool. Right. Yeah. His dog, yeah. I'm sure his dog is not alive anymore by now, right? It's not. I mean, it's sad. Is... Oh. Yeah, loads. Wow. I love how you just, I mean, how you just seem to pull all these things out of thin air. How on earth do you find all these articles? Because you've got the High Mag magazine archive. How many magazines have mm. you got there? Well, growing daily. Just had a huge donation today of film magazines. It's it's over 150,000. It's a very Herculean task to keep it together. So how, so, okay, so I say, right, I'm going to interview Hype. How do you even find all these articles? How, like, you've got everything catalogued like that? No, no. I think particularly with people like Hype and all the people we covered at MTV Party Zone, it's so lodged in my brain. Like you say, Hype's magic was his scratching. For me, a part of my magic can be to go, I know he was on that cover of Wax. I know the Wolfgang Tillman shoot in ID from, okay, 94, 95. I actually did get one or two months wrong on a couple of things I was looking for, but you get the feel, you get the vibe for it. You know where those things are going to be and you pull them out. Oh my God, James, you really are still the human Google. That's insane. An accolade. An accolade I share with a lady, thank you, called Edda Tasiemka. Google her. We have her archive too. But yeah, the knowledge is important. It was always important. But listen, we, we need to talk about hype. Yes. Okay. Because that is who you are interviewing. Yes. So ask him who his dog is. Ask was. him a very funny thing. Was, was. true. Or his new dog. I'm sure he, I think he's replaced his dog. Ask him a very funny quote in one of these interviews here. It talks about him saying he never wears a suit. He will never, ever, ever wear a suit. And the last time he wore a suit was whatever. I think he had to go to court. But he says actually in the, the, the little quote saying he nicked a suit from Byright. So I want to know whether he nicked a suit to go to court. That he had to go to court, or did he go to court because he nicked a suit? So anyway, and would, would he ever wear a suit? Still, oh, I know it's trivia. It's fun. It's fun trivia. Funny. Okay, right? I'll ask him that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Again, look, I'm being trivial. Of course, you want to ask him what he's up to today. His Instagram's great. He's as busy as ever. He's still DJing. He's still doing it. I mean, again, a couple of little geeky things for me. You know, he was such a prolific 
produced. He had th- three labels, his Ganja label, the Perusia label, the True Players label. And at that time when it was all, you know, it was all about the vinyl, wasn't it? The dub plates, mm-hmm. physically having it. I guess all that's gone. How does he feel now? I don't really, I'm sure, again, I haven't paid that much attention. You've seen his socials more than me. He might be just doing it all digitally now. Does he still DJ? I don't I'm going to confess. I don't know everything. Does he DJ with vinyl anymore? Right. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, It's just interesting how he's evolved because... Yeah, I mean, for someone especially who is really into scratching and stuff, uh, I really would like to hear... Physically was hands-on, hands-on. Right. So how was the progression, the change in, in, in technology? How did he experience that? Did he enjoy it? Did he not enjoy it? Does he, mm, you know, mm. is he, is he, yeah, is he sad that he's not dealing with vinyl anymore? I'm sure a lot of DJs are quite happy because it makes traveling a lot easier. Yep. Yeah. Literally just take the USB sticks. More important, you know, look forward to hearing the interview and what you ask him and get into his spirit. And maybe he'll be wearing a suit for the interview. Yeah, probably not. But uh, I'll check in with you afterwards for sure. Thanks, James. I'm here with a man called Kevin Ford, better known, of course, as DJ Hype. Hi! Yay! Thank you so much. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my God. I love how, like, in the 90s, I used to chase you with a camera, just kept, you know, know, bothering you. I was more moody back then, though. I've chilled out a bit in old age. It's true. We 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 did used to really bug you, didn't we? We kept sticking a camera in your face. Or was it okay? That's good. Well, nowadays I wouldn't be moaning. No, but back then, my big regret, you know, like, I never like, you know, when I'm playing, you know, like people would film me and I'm like, I don't want to be filmed. Move, man. I just got, now I've got, I've been, you know, like, I've, you know, like in the modern day, everybody's filming every minute. Right. You know, like my, my, my kids do it. Like, you know, everybody, you walk down the street, so you know like but for us that whole nineties like when before I got actually um you know at the level I got to, when mm-hmm. I was younger I collect every little flyer when I was doing nothing. Then as soon as I became you know, when you're every week, it's like you're just blase about yeah. I never had a camera, you know, yeah. and now I wish I know. I've got photos of me from about fifteen. Yeah. yeah? But before that and a babe, but when we were like 11, yeah. me, Shut Up and Dance, Daddy Earl, we were rude boys. No Once. way. When you were yeah. 11? I, yeah. Were you making music at that point when you were 11 years old? Or what were you guys? No, no, about? 11. Scott, like the, the, the whole, uh, you, know, you know, Magnus specials, uh, what were the group? Selector. Um, what's the other one? Mirror in the bathroom. I will say cool. Forgot what they called. Got a terrible. That was our first sort of trend. Right. We weren't, and we weren't mods. We called ourselves rude boys. And right. if you look at, um, we used to go Carnaby Street and nickel the badges and the ties and the hats. We used to always have little trilbries <laughs> and the two tone trousers. Wow. And then by by 1981, we switched to. We got into reggae. And so, what's up with the sound system behind you? What's what's the link there then? This is the one, this was the last, we built, when we first started, it was one deck, a sponge, reggae. And what we made at that age, we were 13, yeah. 1981. And it was a kiddie set, like we were learning, we weren't playing nowhere. But then what happened is we developed into two decks. And then 1984 or 1983, I was 15. Yeah. And these speakers that, can you see them? Yes. These are hand built by us at 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. We stole the wood from a wood yard in Stoke Newton. Like uh, the wood was about 12 foot by 12. We're walking at 14 years old down the high street, you know, with the wood. And we built these boxes and we used to do sound system up until about 1987. But we weren't a big sound, but we learned, we done all. That's why when I got into the rave scene, 
and doing pirate radio and you just turn up with a record box. I was like, this is a piece of piss. Because you used to you travel know, compared with that. To, <laughs> well, we used to go, what I used to do is ride around, at that age, I'd ride around on a BMX, round Hackney, looking for either empty houses or derelict houses. And then we'd stake it out, make sure, we'd make my own flyers. Uh, I was on a YTS uh, youth training scheme. Right. You know, see, when you left school, mm -hmm. when you leave school, if you don't have a job, you can go on a YTS and they train you up. You're on like minimum, you're on like 20, I was on 25 pound a week, saying silly. And I was learning photography, screen printing. And, um, oh, we were making, cause I made t-shirts for our sound system. Cause this sound, we ended up calling it Heatwave. Right. Like we were Heatwave Roadshow. And, um, cause in the last couple of years, I've been finding little flyers from there. And I found the first ever flyer we did as a sound system when I was about 13 and, um, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I actually drew the flyer myself. It was 50 pence to get it. Wow. So, <laughs> and girls free. So, so do you think that in a way it was easier back then to just do all this DIY stuff or is it actually easier today, you think, for, for young people to do this stuff? Well, it's, it, it, it's a totally different era. Yeah. Like what I did then, yeah. we, what we had then, there was, we, we have a fight. We, there was not much to follow. I come from a poor background in a poor area that, you know, most of my friends, uh, uh, my mum used to, like, when I was, you know, like, in the 90s when I was getting a lot of interviews, mm -hmm. sometimes they go, what would you do if you weren't a DJ? And I'm like, I'd be mad dead or in prison. Right. You know? And my mum used to get, why do you always say that? And my like, mum, have a look. <laughs> like, who have I grown up with? All my friends, like, apart from about four or five of us, oh, wow. are mad, dead, suicide, drug addiction, wow. long-term... I've got someone I know just come out, he's done 30 years in prison. You know what we touch? People get our real shit. No water down flavors round here, believe that. Introduction DJ Hype. Are you ready? It's the players. It's the players. No high murder them. Wow. So here are a few quotes that James is reading out to you. So what? he just wants to get your... To me, not from me. This is quite, oh. These are quotes from you. So oh, what, from it, years ago? From years ago. So here's a, a really silly one, and uh, I'll tell you what his question is afterwards. Wax Magazine, June 1997. <laughs> this is hype talking here. A suit? I don't wear suits. I don't even own a suit. The last time I wore a yeah. suit was in 1989 when I was in court. Yeah, no, I nicked it from oh, Burberry's. No. It cost a grand and I sold it to my mate Roland for that 80 quid on the telly. Yeah, totally smart true. but casual. Yep, see you okay. there. So did you nick the suit to go to court or did you go to court because you nicked the suit? Neither. I nicked the oh, suit okay. anyway. I worked at Burberry's in Hackney, not in the shop, in the warehouse where all the stock that supplies the whole country. And when I, my auntie got me the job there in 1987, this is when, before I was just, you know, I said I was on this workshop, his little music workshop, and we, me and Shut Up and Dance, before that we did the rap. It was then, we'd just done it, and I had no idea about the music game. I'm like, yeah, well, that tune's going to come out, and I'm going to be famous in about six months. And my aunt got me a job in the warehouse. I said, well, I'm only going to be there for a couple of months because I'm going to be really famous, which didn't happen. <laughs> And I worked at Burberry's and she said to me, please, whatever you do, don't steal stuff. Don't let me down. And I was like, no, I won't. And I went there. First day I'm going there, I'm like, don't nick nothing. Be good. And then I'm having lunchtime come and my boss, everyone in this department is just helping themselves to clothes and putting them under their clothes, over their tops. So I just joined in. I'm like, fuck it, can't beat him join. So I started nicking. They used to pay me about £90 a week. I used to supply half a hackney with stolen coats. <laughs> and but everyone did that. Everybody worked there from the bosses. The more higher up they were, the more they stole. And there was no cameras or anything then. My boss, I worked in a bit where they send back stuff that, say like you bought a coat and it's broken, you send it back to me. But also they have fashion shows with all stuff that's never going to come out. That gets sent to me. I once had a 40 crocodile skin Burberry belts. I used to go to the record shop with these coats that actually, they're suede. They're stuff that never came out. They were suede, free, they cost over a thousand pounds. 
Yeah, and I said, Nick, too, go to the record shop and flog them for 40 quid each so I could buy some. It, it was a great funny. time there. <laughs> but, um, okay. Yeah, so that suit I'd stolen, and I just, I think I nicked it, and I just, I was going to flog it or do something with it. It was a pinstrap suit. It was about, yeah, you said it was 900 quid, wasn't it? And then what happened, I got nicked for, um, it was the last time I got nicked, and it weren't even me. It was just a dumbass, stupid thing. And um, I wore that to court. So no, I didn't. I didn't go to court for stealing it, and I didn't steal it for court. And right. then the guy I gave it to, he's actually still got it. <laughs> yeah, you sold it for eighty quid in a television. Apparently, that's amazing, man. I'm glad you told me that. So you started producing records in 1989. Right. No, what was actually what was the first track you produced? Nineteen eighty-seven. Eighty-seven. And I, I never used to be called Hype. Nineteen eighty-nine is when I changed my name to DJ Hype. Yes. But prior to that, in the sound system days, first my name was Turby, because there used to be um, a comedian. Uh, you know the young. You do you remember a TV program called The Young Ones? Yes. And Rick, you know Rick. Yes. Rick Mel. Well, yeah. like Rick. Before they did that, he used to be a character called Kevin Turvey, and he used to be a bit, and he, I didn't find it funny, but because my name's Kevin, my friend used to call me Turvey. Right. So I was Turvey the operator, mix me down proper. <laughs> you know, that was what right. they used to call me. Then when I started doing the, the mixing and scratching and entering, I was called Dr. K, the doctor, the doctor of the decks. And then in 1989, I started doing pirate radio, but I was already on a like a I was already on a hip hop reggae show with with me and Daddy Earl used to do it in Tottenham WIBS Radio, and um, but at the same time I wanted to get on this rave station called Fantasy FM, and that is when I was doing the rave stuff, and I switched to hype because I thought well I can't go on this station called Doctor K because I'm already on that one, and I had a T-shirt that had a oh, Nike okay. sign that I bought in Carnaby Street that said hype instead of Nike and had a Batman t-shirt that had hype in the word instead of Batman. And I don't even know. And I just thought I'll call myself hype because then I've got two t-shirts, you know, like, but at that time, 1987, you know, I said to you earlier about the YTS on the YTS, the youth right. training program, one day a week, they, we were allowed to go to some recording studio. It was called his little music workshop. And they just let you piss about in a studio. And they said us to enter some competition. And me, Smiley, and PJ, this is all before Shut Up and Dance. And um, we won some competition where we got a £1,000 worth of studio time. And we was in all like, the, 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 this place was in Islington. So we were in the Islington Gazette. We met the mayor of Islington. I was even on um, TV on um, because the, the, the YTS I was on, it, it was part of NACRO. NACRO is the National Association for the Rehabilitation of Young Offenders. And I was a ex-offender kid okay. you know so but because i was doing the music i started teaching scratching in this day i was on thames at six one of these programs you know one of them six o'clock and it was like you know this is the guy he used to drive cars he used to nick cars but now he's doing this and it was like you know naughty boy turned good but the music 89 um no i was on the radio it was 1990 in 1989 and 90, I was doing demos on my own. I used to play them on Fantasy, done on 4-Track. Then did, I met up with... You, you did The did Exorcist, right? The Exorcist yeah, yeah, and I'm the beat. Just, oh, my I'm, God. Yeah, I love it. just about to tell you about that. <laughs> so what happened is I'm not producing properly yet. But Smiley's always like, you should be doing what we're doing. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm all right. I do it at my own pace. Then he phoned me up one day and was like, listen, this geezer's going to phone you. He's going to offer you £200 a week be an A&R man, in-house producer, just tell him yes. And I'd even, I'm like, what's an A&R man? He's like, don't worry about it, just tell him yes. And Peter Harris, who owned Kicking, well, it was, there was no Kicking Records. It was GTI Records. He phones me up. Basically, he was so in awe of Shut Up and Dance that he trusted their judgment. So he phones me up, offers me, he gives me a great big bag of cassettes. He's like, go away, listen to the demo, tell me what you think. And I liked one guy called The Scientist who was like a 17-year-old kid. And I listened, it was like very techno, like straight techno, really. And at that point, I was doing break beats, but I'm not a fully producing. I'm making demo. And I'm like, well, if I put my beats with his stuff, I think we could do something. Mm -hmm. So I went round his house, took my sampler, 
and he had a SQ80 keyboard. It's what Adamski used on his. Um, I keep doing that in it. Um, Adamski used it on his own. I didn't know this. This kid was sitting there playing me. Yeah, this is how you do Adamski, and he was creating sounds. And we just put this. I put my sampling keyboard, connected it to his, and we done the Exorcist. I'd already made the Exorcist, like the samples and the beats. That was me. Hmm. He weren't even in the equation. Then I made him play stuff over the top, and it became Exorcist. I don't want to be the front man. I'm think I want to be right. the super cool producer. Right. And I, so I'm not as the art. He's going to be the artist. I'm the super cool producer. I, I, I mean, but what I a track! The heart. But what a track! Yeah, I mean, but then we did the, the B, Exorcist. The B. It still packs a punch, even when you play it today. That's pretty incredible. Well, you've got the we done the Exorcist, and then there's a track called the B right. that followed it. When we did the B, we did it the same week. I'm sitting in his house. We're talking like, what should we do next? Yeah. And then what happened is I leant on his keyboard and then it just went coming out the speaker. And I'm like, I said, wait, is that the keyboard? I was like, wow. And I, I've never took LSD or trips. Yeah, I don't. But I used to hear stories of friends telling me when they're in a club and they're on it, they, it sounds like there's spiders cutting their hair. Or, so I said, imagine you're in a club and you're in bees come out the speakers and you're on. Because if you listen to it, there's bits in that tune where we're playing like swarms of not one, like loads. So, and we made that in literally a day. And then I did the Kick Squad champion sound, which was me and him again. And another guy, they shut, he didn't really do much. This guy, Ralph Rupert from Jerk, he come and done a little bit of engineering. I was, and I was ripped off by it all. And what happened is the scientists used to do the interviews and they'd say, oh, you've got a lot of techno influence. And he'd be like, yeah, so his influence is all the keyboard stuff. Right. But then they'd say, oh, there's also breakbeat and, you know, reggae and that influence. Oh, yeah. And he's not going there. Well, that's hype. Right. So he was leaving me out. Yeah. Then I'm sitting in kicking off. He's listening to the, the other guy getting all the credit from when I'm like, I'm in the middle here. I got ripped off completely, but I learned a lot. I was, and I ended up yeah. um, moving on from that. Well, I mean, you ended up, I mean, at one point you actually had, it was one of the biggest selling independent jungle compilations ever, I think, right? Still smoking. I mean, you've ended up doing so well with your own label and with your yeah. jobs worldwide were lost in the creative industries because of COVID and because of digitization. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, what, what's it been like? Well, it, it is what it is, isn't it? It's life. You know, yeah. remember, I'm, I'm 54 this year. I'm lucky enough to have had a career in music from the age of, you know, I start, and it wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, you know, like now, People get into the music industry from wherever as a career. DJ, mm -hmm. you know, clubbing. That I was telling you earlier about when I was doing it, there were no all-night clubs. You had to go and kick off a door and make our own all-night. We're, like, we're pre-warehouse party, pre-everything. You know, yeah. like when I started, and I've watched that natural progression from, you know, um, where it wasn't so multicultured in clubbing land, um, where the integration started, and... I was lucky enough to end up in a great career, you know, and I'm now, and I, you know, I don't, I think I'm a dickhead, you know, but I'm an iconic figure who's been in the game for a long, I'm proud of that bit. You know, I joke with my kids when they I'm like, you know what, I'm quite respected around the world, believe it or not. Oh, but yes, I, I, you are. Oh, yes, yeah, you but are. Yeah, but I don't, yeah, but I'm a normal, you know, if my friends are saying, my, I've never, I've always been the character I am right. my whole life. And yeah. At the moment, you know, like with the, the when the lockdown happened, at first I was all right with it. Then I went a bit like, this is driving me mental. Then obviously my job is not, you know, you don't get a pension at the end of it. It's, it's unstable business anyway. You know, if you're lucky enough to get a year professional in this game, really, 
Most people come and go. I used to joke like boy bands and girl groups come and go. I'm still here, you know. Right. But every year that, just in my age, every year that gets a little bit harder to, you know, because really the music game is a young person's game. And um, obviously when the lockdown happened, the longer it was going on, they, you know, our industry suffered. Them. They didn't even mention us. So when they were talking about, you know, like when everyone, all they kept going on about the tellies when the pubs are going to fucking open. Right. When I'm like the pub, like what? My, look, I've got a beer in my hand. I can buy that at the supermarket for about 80p. I'm not running to a pub to spend £5 on a beer. That ain't the top of my agenda. Mm-hmm. You know, it was worrying about the longevity, like, you know, um, uh, that longevity. So I could keep myself, I'm still all right. But obviously that big gap, it's been nearly two, it's been two years now. But- so... Last year, when the work started coming back, yeah. then they it went again. It, that, that you know, like in our industry, you got to plan ahead. Yeah. So that bit fucked up a lot of things. Although it's coming back now. Yeah. And the music side, you know, the the industry, you know, like if if you was a cameraman twenty five years ago, where and or camera company, you know, and you sell film for cameras, mm-hmm. everyone had to buy film. Then the next day, digital's come, so mm-hmm. no one's buying that no more. Right. You know, it's part things of everything change. moves on. Things change. Yes, you and... showed me some puppets, by the way. What the hell? You were saying you were doing something with these puppets during lockdown? Oh, <laughs> like, in the lockdown. <laughs> like, well, what? no, I was just bored. <laughs> in the lockdown, this this where I've got all the music. Like You said you could see this, right? What I'm mm-hmm. showing. Yes. So what we did in the lockdown, we soundproofed. So I've got three rooms, yeah? I'm leading on to the puppets. That's why okay. it's relevant. So... This, we, we brought up the sound system again mm-hmm. and it kind of reignited my fire and brought back all the sort of memories of the music. Because for the last 20 something years, I've just been in that fast lane going forward and not looking back at all the, you know, what I've done, good and bad musically. I just thought everything's, oh, that's rubbish. Coming here, I fell in love with bass again and my musical roots. So mm-hmm. I started on this side, I've put a recording studio. Right. So we're doing music in here. And then this side, we've got the sound system. And then this side, we've got all old, you know, like reggae, soul, everything in it. it, it there, I don't know if you can see, is a cassettes and dats. I've found things in here that I didn't even know I had. And then out of boredom in the lockdown, I've always wanted, thought I'd be good at doing little puppets. And just randomly, you know, in the lockdown, you can't have people round. So I thought, I was bored. I thought, I ordered a puppet on Amazon. Right. So then... The first one I got was her. So she was called Dolly Danger. Right. And I'd put up songs. And what I do with her as well, like I'll play a song and she'll mime the, the words to it. <laughs> then I've got, like, you need to, when you hang up, go on my Instagram. Because there's interviews <laughs> of things I've done. Like, people were loving it. Um, but I'd get phone calls from certain people in the industry like, you all right? Man? And I'm like, what do you mean? Boy, I saw you online and you got this. I'm like, it's a puppet. I said, I'm doing that. I'm bored. What do you think? I'm mental. I love and it. And I like all my close and my close friends are all very realist. You know, they're not. Right. They don't suffer food, and they loved it. They're all like, I, I, if I do puppets and things like that, you get more hits than if I sit here talking about. You know, my next single's coming out. And um, also, you know... So like, that's what you know, I got to do like, then. I got to get some puppets, basically, right? You've got, you've got to have a... It's the stupid shit. You know, like, if I put a picture of my dog up, everybody goes nuts. Like oh, they, James and I were talking about your dog. What was your dog called? Because you had quite a famous Oh, Snook. Dog. Snook. Aww. Yeah, but even my latest one was fake Bully. I, like, Snook lived for 18 years. You know, when Jungle and that got big, big, he, I got that dog about a year before. No bloody right. It was nuts. People used to come up to me and be like, where's your dog? In a, and I'm like, uh, he's a dog, you know. <laughs> and you know, like your MTV back then. I don't know if I told you back then. Did um, True Players in Japan. And we'd done a couple of tours out there. And um, they phoned me saying, yeah, we want you to bring Snoop to Japan. And now I'm thinking, are you taking the pit? It's my dog. What am I going to? No, we like Snoop. And I'm like, mate, it's a dog. I can't bring him to Japan. When I went to Japan, Simone, they had caricature stickers all over the city of Tokyo, lampposts of Snoop, yeah. Then I played at Liquid Rooms. Right. So it was like the big, you know, like the big club of Tokyo. And I got interviewed by MTV Asia. And I'm in this back room and there's about six of them, you know, the camera crew. And the first question, the guy went, so, so tell us about your dog, Snoop. <laughs> and I went, 
<laughs> I went, I know. I went, uh, he's a dog. Like, what else can I say? Like, what we got? Oh, yeah, he's working on his latest album. He's got a film. I'm like, and they all went like this in disappointment. Oh. And then after the interview, I said, what do you think? Oh, he's my dog. And then funny. I got, me, me, we got an offer to do a remix of a Japanese rap tune. Yeah. Like, and we did it. And then I get a phone call. Yeah, it must have, like, in the contract, honestly, they stated, Hype must put some scratching in the remix and you must put Snoop's bark in it. Yeah. And I did, I had a, because I used to put once accidentally, he was in the studio, he barked and it come through. So I used to put that in. So I put it in the track. Right. And these people phoned me up after I did it going, oh, we don't think that's Snoop. We think Shy Effects used to have a tune called Wolf. And they were saying, that sounds like you got it from Shy Effects. I said, that's my fucking dog. <laughs> and then as a joke, you know, like, in Japan, they don't get sarcasm. Right. Or, you know, like British. So I was on the phone and I'm like, look, I'm not being funny, but my dog's not happy because he, he, he feels he should be getting some publishing for this dog park, you know. And I'm expecting to. And she was like, oh, okay. I'll go and talk to the lawyers. <laughs> so basically, things haven't changed that much. People have been silly all along. We still go for the silly well, stuff. And we used to back then, obviously, as well. You know, some people are more mm. gullible than others. Right. And right. when I go Amer when I used to go to America, they don't get British sarcasm. It goes over their head. And same with Japan. Japan, they're very polite. I once played mm. in a club, turned up, and was saying to them, What time what's my set time later? You know? And they said, Oh, I'm on one till three. I said, I can't do that. And they went, Well, what do you mean? I said, I don't do odd numbers. I said, I do twelve <laughs> to two. And then I said, and also, what's the venue like? Is it like a pointy roof or a flat seat? You know, like a... And, I, and I'm expecting the guy to turn around and go, shut up, you idiot. And he didn't say much. And then I was there the Saturday. The, on the Sunday, I'm going for dinner. And he's like, I can't wait till you go back to England. I said, why? What's the matter? He goes, you cause nothing but problems. First, you tell me. I said, I was joking. I said, what? You believed all that rubbish? He said he was phoning the club going, yeah, he doesn't do odd numbers and what's Whoa. the roof like? <laughs> All right, backstage again in the meditation rave. Now I've got Zinc and Hype here. These guys are cool. Now listen, what's happening? First of all, I want to know, is this the first meditation rave you guys done? Um, no, not me. This is about, how many have I, I've done about four. Oh, what, in Germany? Yeah, that they was, were, that was a... So crazy good yeah well i used they were big events because i used to do clubs that would hold about 1500 people on my own and it'd be mm -hmm. it'd be nuts and then it progressed to doing these big you know like uk raids where they'd have me book like a range of us doing mm -hmm. the whole night um and meditation was one of those bigger ones yeah manheim manheim random manheim era in heidelberg right. and frankfurt those areas is where i was very popular the first time I ever went to Germany, I was terrified. I thought it was going to be all Nazis because like, I look foreign. Yeah. Like I, like, and back then, at that era was when they had, um, I think they had a lot of Iranian or Turkish refugees, something. Right. And on the TV over here, they were getting racially abused and that. And you know, like my preconception of Germany being English, you know, it's like as if everybody's Hitler. No, yeah, but when I landed in Frankfurt, a black guy collected me, you know, and put my mind. <laughs> and and it's. I it can't was great. believe that that's what you were thinking. That's funny. Well, well, well if you've ah. never been in it, your preconception yeah. of a country is only what you've been shown. Isn't right. it? What do I know? I didn't know any German people personally. Right. I and, know what I see on the telly. And they went mad for it. So the thing um, I was I was going to ask you, sir, you know, you were so big into the scratching and everything as well, which is probably why you're such a good DJ. You know, you've got your skills are so beyond just mixing one record into the next one. But how is that today? I mean, do you still you still use vinyl as well, right? Or no, do you kind no, of no, nothing? No, no. You can't use import. I stopped I stopped playing vinyl and dub plates in 2010. I probably kept it going as long as I could. Mm -hmm. Like most of the DJs by then are playing CDs or they've switched to something digital. But I liked being that it's a real DJ, isn't it? Right. But then all of a sudden you're fighting a losing battle. You know, if I'm turning up on a stage and there's records playing and you start dancing, the whole thing's jumping, I can't perform, so I come off. Now, when everyone played vinyl, that's going to be everyone all night. So you're not going to stand out as the guy. But if I'm turning up at a club in the local area where, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 people on like a Thursday night, you're a big headliner, you go in there, the local kid's playing, 
you know, you go on, the whole dance floor comes and, and then you can't even play because everything's jumping and you yeah. just get demoralised. You've got to come off and walk out the club feeling. So 2010, I switched to Serato. And Serato is a computer programme, but you're still using the turntables. So I was keeping it as turntablism as I could. But again, the quality of sound, technical problems. Um, so last... About two, just the year before lockdown, I think it was, I switched to, I had to switch to CDJs because it just wasn't workable. Mm. Like, I didn't want to switch, but you know, like every time I go anywhere, they've got to put special decks for me. Half the time they're putting out turntables that look like they're 50 years old and don't even work properly. And yet you, you're on after me, you bring your little USB, plug it in and away you're going. And right. I'm standing there, I'm supposed to be the DJ DJ and it's... And then also in the last few years, what I feel anyway, it's a producer market. Like, um, there, there are people that still appreciate your DJ skills, the actual skills, not the selection. Mm -hmm. But most of them, like nowadays, I still do a bit. You understand? Like, I enjoy it. But I don't feel it's, it's more important to be in the studio writing music if you want um, mm -hmm. to be a successful DJ in the field I'm in. If you look at all the names, probably for the last 10 years at least, everyone's a producer and everybody now with technology makes 500 tunes a year. You know, like the, 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 you know, like the 20 year olds of today, they don't know, like my era, you might make a couple, like, I don't know, 10 tracks tops in a year, if yeah. that. Some made more, but now all these kids, they make like, I know one artist who gave me a release, he was telling me he makes 40 tunes a month. I was like, how the hell? So it's quantity over quality. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And because if everyone can out... just release everything just like that, right? You yes. Don't, the gatekeepers are gone. You can just do yeah. it. It's a free for all. Well, so it makes so, it easy. Yeah. But if you're, a, if you're at that age, that's all you know. You know, yeah. it's natural to you. You don't like me. Vinyl was natural. Yeah. If I gave a 20-year-old now who does CDJs, go, yeah, I'd brag a record, go and play. You wouldn't know what the fuck to do. But I can't have a go at him. He's not from that. Because there was a period where I was being like that. That's not... Then I'm like, hang on, you're sounding like, you know, tell it back in the old days. Because I get people saying that to me and I get annoyed at them. Right, yeah. back in the old days. I said, mate, it's not the old days. What you I actually put a post up because I got criticised for using the computer programme for a bit. Yeah. When I was probably the last person, and I was like, listen, when I started, one turntable and a sponge. Yeah, there weren't even two deck mixing. What do you mean with a sponge? Done... Well, what is the sponge? I don't quite get Have it. Have a look on my Instagram page. Okay. And, uh, I put a picture up last week. Basically, when it was reggae days, you got a big sound system, one turntable, yeah. and you'd put a, the turntable on a sponge to stop the feedback. Yeah? You know, like the humming from the, right. the subs. Right. Usually you'd use a, you know, like a settee, you know, like the, what you sit the bit on the sofa that you, like a pillow bit, yeah, yeah, square. Yeah. You'd put that on top of the amps and that and the deck. And someone sent me a picture the other day and they circled it and I posted it. Like, it's a load of dreads like reggae club and they're all looking at it and I said when I start that is how I started one day there was no scratching yeah that but can, I like that that. This... that can be the title of your book one deck and a sponge one turntable <laughs> and a sponge and what you just said I get people get, what's this sponge for <laughs> yeah. so I put the photo up of it's not me but it's like a group of reggae guys and the guys playing and you can see this because it's just like That's even funny. in you know we're talking about the vinyl days of drum and bass and jungle you know like in clubs sometimes the decks feedback so under it you put sponge or yeah. something soft or the stage is hollow so it bounces so new technology makes it a lot easier. You know what you're saying? And also the platforms now. Like the, the thing is, to me, record companies are dying because you don't need a record company. Why am I giving it to you when I can put it straight into right. Spotify or straight? So the, the, the quality control goes, but at the same time, everyone's got a chance. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, my generation, you needed about 20, 30 grand to have basic equipment, really. You know, when I look, if you look at these kids today, you know, for a few hundred quid on your laptop, you can have enough, you know, and then you've yeah. got what, Instagram, everything's on your phone and they're natural to it. So they, they get big. To me, the internet, you know, they're not interested in radio. Like I have children, well, they're not children anymore, but they're good demographic for me, how they interact. They listen, they don't listen to DJs. They follow artists. 
You know, they don't, you know, like they're not a D, they'll like the DJ at a club, but they're not going to follow. You know, like when I wanted to hear a certain song, I've got to go and hear a certain DJ or I'm tuning into the station. They just point and click, oh, who's Simone? MTV? Oh, there you go. I know everything about right. you within half an hour. Yeah. You know, our generation, you really had to look, you know, oh, hi, played this tune. I don't know what it is. And you've got to source it. Now everything's, they want it now and they get bored of it quick. Even so, if you came to, when's the last time you've heard, like if you came and heard a drum and bass mix today, most of us are playing very, very quick. You know, like it's literally bang, 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 bang. You know, back then a tune could be 10 minutes, you know, some drum and bass tunes were nine minutes long. And, you know, now you literally play, like, I don't know, 30, 40 seconds intro, you drop in, and you're, it's like impact, impact, impact. Wow. And if you watch these kids, they love it. They go fucking mental. Yeah. But you or me from an older generation, uh, most of my friends that are not in the industry, yeah. they ain't going to that. They're like, what is this? This ain't got a baby. And I'm like, it's just moved on. Like hip hop today is not the same as it was 20 years ago or reggae. Interesting. Any music, it evolved. Yeah. But in the last year or two, um, well, it, it, probably over the last five years, everything's come back. Mm-hmm. Like in the UK, I don't know about globally, but in the UK, you know, like the hardcore, like pre-jungle, you know, like 92 to 94, every era now, like the kids, are, there's a lot of jungle raves coming back with new young junk, like not drum and bass, jungle, you know, like traditional mm-hmm. jungle, that old school flavour that I never believed would come back because there was a time when they're like, that's old people, you know, like, that's my dad's music, you know. Everything's come Whereas, back, hasn't it? Yeah. So there's a really good um, mixture at the moment. Like, if you wanted to, you know, like, usually it moves in trends. Like, if you want to make music in drum and bass, well, that style's in there. Or the, now it's like anything, you know, right. everybody and anybody. But, and, do you, um, but do you think that part of, of the whole nostalgia, I think, I think I get the feeling that COVID kind of made people more nostalgic, you know, for a time that was a bit more carefree. Maybe I mean, is that um, is that part I of can't, what you think? I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, and you can't. I can only speak on how my own. Right. Like for me, what happened is it's just the first time in probably twenty five years that I had nothing. You know, I'm not playing out. I took my foot off in, in the last twenty years, especially. You probably spent fifty percent of your career is abroad, and it's not. You know, I go to, I don't know, I go to Germany, play my gig, and then I'm there for a few days chilling. Then I, it's like, fly land, fly land. Right. I, I could go, like, today, be in London doing, like, the end or fabric and finish at 6 a.m. I have to go straight to Heathrow Airport to fly to Moscow, to play tonight in Moscow, and then I'm on a plane tomorrow. But I'm back in the manor by 4 o'clock the next evening. Or, you know, it was ridiculous. I used to say to people, if you didn't know me, you'd probably think I'm lying. You're like, go on, ask him where he's been. He reckons he went... Here, but, there, and everywhere. But surely your life is not like that anymore, right? Are you still do that kind of stuff? No, like no. What happened? Like I was. Like, I was still going to Australia, America, yeah. doing tours. Like you know, you don't stop. You normalize to it. In a week, well, I remember one week I did like a three dates in America. Come back, did a club in England, then flew to somewhere in Italy. You know, and it was normal. So I when know. the lockdown come, I think it hit me. You know, like that. I haven't actually had a proper rest. And also time to be me, not to be DJ hype and living for the weekend. I didn't even realize I was doing that. So musically, I've had a, like, and having this place again, and all the stuff, there's stuff here I haven't looked at. I forgot. I found a big suitcase. I mean, big, it's like a sink, like out of a film, you know, like we found, what's in it? I opened it up and it was literally like about 207 inch reggae records like all that we ain't looked at and, and in it there was a note that i read i recognized my writing i was like that's my writing it was like be whatever you want to be don't wow. let anybody and i was like wow and it made me emotional and then i was putting out songs here that i haven't played like whether i made them or shut up and down like ones i haven't played it even songs i made and released when i looked at it i made my tunes in a studio but i use small speakers I play out, I'm hearing it on the monitor, not in the club on a big fat. So here, stringing up this sound system and putting on songs that I made 20 years ago, I was like, wow, they're actually really good. Whereas I've always had a low opinion of myself. I've never like rated my production, but then replaying these these oldest, you know, that 94, my Ganja record stuff especially. Some of them weren't huge hits, but I'm listening to it and 
I'm like, these are quite unique in what oh, they yeah. do. And it made me reignite that fire again. Like, we've got one turntable that I got strung up, yeah? And these are all old reggae, like, my early, 1981. I didn't even realise, because I was doing on Instagram in the lockdown, I might play one of the old reggae tunes and tell a little story. And then I was like, what year? And it said 1981. And I'm staring at it, and I'm like, hang on, this was in 2020 when I'm looking. I thought, 2021, that means 40 years. Wow. And I was like, wow. And I found a cassette in the other room from 1984 of me and Shut Up and Dance and Daddy Earl. We broke into a house and held a party in um, Stoke Newton. And we used to record them. And Earl's on the mic going, you know, if you want to listen. Because back then, you didn't have a multi-genre. You know, like you ever went to a reggae club, hip-hop. You didn't, There was soul sounds. There was a... You wouldn't go in England. I don't think anywhere in the world at that point where you're going to have black and white in one setup. A guy that scratches, a guy that reggae chats. We play reggae, hip-hop, shut up and dance with MCing, and we're multicultural. Mm-hmm. Where on planet Earth was that? At that? And right. I mean that. I, and then, of course, I, the, I, ra- I was... the rave scene really did bring everyone together. I mean, that's yeah, when yeah, it but really this is just... before that. Right, this is I'm before. talking about yeah. this spark of yeah. this point of like when what we were doing, we were really rated by, we were still kids and we were doing parties, but we would get kids our age, you know, like 18 to like 20 and under. And we were known as a kiddie sound, but we were really respected by the older lot because we were doing it right. We And then what happened, that progressed and progressed. Yeah. You know, and it's been an organic journey for me. And the rave scene, you know, like what brought everyone together wasn't the music, Simone, it's fucking ecstasy. No, and I, <laughs> I, I approve. No, I just say, I don't know, I don't, I'm not a condoner of drugs, but when the ecstasy, when it was in its natural form, not polluted with all shit and made it. Mm-hmm, exactly. That's when, that's what got me into rave. I remember going to a rave with my friend. I first went to an acid rave just to see what it was about. And that was when I was really still reggae hit. I stood there watching everybody go like this. I don't know they're wrong. I'm like, what the hell is this mental stuff? Then about a year later, I went to um, like a more, was it 89, when it was more a mixture of music, hip house, house, you know, and everybody was on ecstasy. I didn't even know. But I went to this, this outdoor thing in a field. And what I noticed, there was black, white, old, young, like all different colors and classes. And I wasn't even looking at the music at the time. I was just like, this is amazing. And everybody's happy and likes each other. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that that's when the racial barriers, because people were, uh, when I started having to, and going to raves regular, they say like, I know a mob of men or guys from my manor that are not nice guys. They're trouble men, I'm a violent one, yet they're in this club and they're, they're happy. And I, I remember <laughs> one of them going, oh, oh, and I see them raving next to a guy that I know, they, they usually would kick off and they're yeah. all loved up. And then all of a sudden, I had friends that wouldn't, white friends that would never go to a black club with me. They're going to these raves. And so I went with them. And I'm like, actually, this is like the, the multiculturalism because everybody was loved up. Hey, but hype. Um, so just last thing, um, what's, what, what you got lined up for the future? What's, what's coming up? Well, this year, there's something I can't mention yet because it okay. might not. It was... It was something planned for this year. Well, last, you know, like because of COVID, you couldn't plan nothing. And who knew what was happening? Then when it was coming back to normal, last year was 40 years of hype, you know, like for me. And I thought, you know what? And being down in this basement, knowing, realising how much history I've got, I'm like, I would like to do a tour of not just, oh, I'm playing a jungle set. You know, like an actual whole night where I can go from, I do it down here with my friends, where I can play from 1981 dub music right up to modern day and I have a little mix up and drum and bass and everybody likes it. And I thought that would be a good little tour where I can mm-hmm. highlight my let maybe do a little talk and then um, but we couldn't plan nothing. Then the end of last year it was like maybe we'll do it this year. Then the Omricom thing come and my agent said to me that um listen the like no one wants to plan nothing yet. Now it's easing. I'm looking at possibly doing something in September like a tour but now it's 41 years, but who cares? Um, something to celebrate more than just come and do an upfront set. Also, yeah. I'm back, I haven't produced on my own for years. Like I stopped making music and I was running a label and DJing. 
it, now I've gone back to producing, not on my own. I've got about four or five tracks that I've been writing the last few months. And I want, that's got to be a continuum. And uh, I went, I fell out of love of producing. I was getting, it was doing my head in. And because I was so busy DJing, I didn't feel the need to anymore. And I was happy to take other artists, help them, you know, develop. I get the music, I'm running a label. It was all working well. But obviously the goalposts have moved in the last few years where record labels don't make money. Kids don't want to sign. Most artists now want to put out 50 releases on 50 labels, chuck it all out. So they get a big boost, you know, that, but you as a label, like, well, my, I'm not making no money off of that. And I want to produce again. And, but I lost my confidence. But at the moment, I haven't released nothing yet, but I've got one, two, three, four. It's about seven tracks, not finished. I'm finally getting my act back together. And what it is in the lockdown, I realised why am I trying, like for the last few years, I've been trying to follow Trent. You know, like, oh, that's in now, I've got to be playing that. And I go, I'm like, you know what, I want to be me again. How did I get, I got popular in the first place by sticking to my, you know, like when you hear me, oh, yeah, I don't follow the mainstream, and rah, rah, rah. That's a young, fired up man. Then mm -hmm. you become, you know, in your, you know, I had kids, I've got to pay the bills now. And I've got to be, I've got to do stuff for them. I don't know, as much as we all want money, I never got into this for money. It wasn't an industry. It wasn't a career. I got into music for love. Even now, like me, Danny, I was saying to my friend, I don't know if I said it to you, in this lockdown, if I didn't have this place, I'm not religious or anything. So I don't believe in God. But if there is a God, he's downstairs in this basement because fucking hell, I'm pulling out. You know, when you look at old photos and we get the memory of that era or emotional, I was pulling out records and sitting here crying with happy, like, like, remembering not not in sadness i found things uh the, the first ever award i won in jungle 1994 mm -hmm. the elevation and it's a cassette of me you know they they shout at the crowd back then the whistles and foghorns isn't it you know like now they just hold up their bloody phones right but even that sound it made me i was like wow and then the, the you know you hear me going yeah i don't really gonna say much i just want to play the song and it, it, all little triggers, or doing New Year's Eve with Chalky White at um, Astoria, 1991. And he's going, oh, he's calling me Jesus <laughs> on the mic. And then I'm playing, you remember Anastasia? Da, 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 right, da, yeah, yeah. And even that, like, I felt a natural, like hearing it on the cassette and the crowd and that, and it was midnight, hearing it, what was that, 1991, 2021, what's that, 30 years later, was like, so I'm sitting here hearing all these different eras of when I've been, and it made me realise I've actually got a good legacy more than I, I always talk proudly of it, but deep down sometimes I think, what is good? In lockdown, I went for a real um, high to low. My son, yeah. I was saying to my son, I don't even want to do this anymore. I was like, I felt like I'm just the old guy. Oh, let's wheel him out. And in some ways, I am the old guy. But what's happened in the last year, in our, what is good is the young producers and the older ones, I see people tweeting it in our game. They're, like, they're loving the way that everyone's interacting it, which I never nice. believed would happen. I, and um, for me, I made the, con the, the decision... I don't want to be being that 50 gigs a week DJ no more because I wasn't happy. It was driving me mental because mm -hmm. I don't get a time. I'm always tired, knackered, playing catch up. So having that breather made me realize, you know what, this coming out of COVID, I, obviously I've got to work hard, but I'm trying to do it at a pace that I enjoy. I don't want to be up yeah. and down the motorway, flying to think, fly back. No. But I don't know if I'm going to get away with that because you know, I mean, you sort of, I always say you've got to do it all or you're not doing nothing. You can't pick and choose. But You've reassessed. You gotta, you gotta just see and ride it and and see. What yeah, it goes, well, I am. Right? I thought, what's but the I... worst that's going to happen? You know, in the last, I don't know about you, but in the last two years, not COVID, but a lot of people around me have been very ill and died. Quite a lot of people close to me, and one of them in particular. I watched him did like go. I knew I got told he had cancer. Was going around his hand, and I watched him go from. He was bad enough when I saw him, you know, like they, he had stage four. You know, he wasn't going to make it, and he was already dying. So he looked all. But in that two month period, roughly, I watched him go. He actually looked to me in the end. It it, it haunts me 
But it also made me really, you know what? You've got a great life. You can't moan about nothing. Yeah. You've got your, me and my friend, it humbled me lockdown. It's made me like, you know what? You've got your legs, you've got your body. I've got food on my table. Exactly. I, I, I don't even drive anymore. I've got a bike purposely because yeah. I, I never was a flashy, even when I was at my peak, I had a BMW, but I had the shittiest one. Everyone else would be like, why have you got this? And I'm like, I never thought I'd even own a car. So I, that is, when I bought a house, I bought a small house. No, not small to me. I come from a council flat with nothing. I never thought I'd own a house. I bought my house. Me and my mum stood in the kitchen when I got given the keys and she looked at me and was like, who the fool? And I was like, you know that, mum. And I was like, I, got, <laughs> I managed to achieve what I shouldn't have. So in this part of my life, I'm like, you know what? I've got friends. Most of my friends' parents are all like 70s, 80s and I'd say 70% of my friends' parents are either already passed away or they've got some long term, like my mum's got Parkinson's disease, bless her, and I'm 54 this year. So in my head is like in 16 years' time, I'm going to be 70. Now my son's 24 and it seems like yesterday when he was born. You know, like when we're talking about meditation, all that, that is longer than, that's Oh, that's more than 17 years ago. So how quick am I going to be 70? So I want to enjoy this part. I don't even know if I'm going to live to yes. 70. So I want to enjoy this part of my life, which is I'm finding hard at the moment with the the lockdown, lock, lock, what it did. But I don't care. Because even yeah. my friend, my friend is a very positive, oh, it'll, everything will work out in you. And I'm like, you know what, you're right. It and my granddad, does. my grandfather passed away in 2000, yeah? He was 86 and he was a really good, quiet, wise. He's the only man I've ever looked up to in my life. I'm still not over his death, even though he had a good life. I never had a dad. It's all great. But when he was dying, before he passed away, he used to be a oil, he used to do painting, oil painting and all that. But with his strokes and that, he deteriorated. But he would just make these abstract, weird shit just to keep his brain active. And I went to visit him in hospital, and he, I've got a photo of it on my phone. Imagine you go to visit your grandfather, he's sitting there, and there's a bit of paper on the side that he'd done like an abstract, and in the middle of it, he's got his name. He's got, was it Searching for My Soul at 86 years old? Sorry, I'm going to cry. Oh. Uh, and, um, uh, no, but I, I didn't say nothing to him. I was just looking. No, but this man I looked up to all my life, and there he is. And also, he sat there one day at the end of it and he went you know what he goes you go through life and you know like there's things you've worried about all your life and now he's at death's door he's like oh, i fucking wasted all my life worrying about this bullshit you know and that well, there I, you go. yeah but i when i get i'm quite a negative he wasn't like me yet when i film us i start thinking of him and i'm like you know what life's too short man you know it is it is well i'm, I'm glad he said that that's that's a good thing to hold on to. It's kind of, you know, they say that 80% of the things that we worry about are never even ever going to happen. No, so that's and it. also, Stop worrying, where, you know, like, life, yeah, fun. but you, you know, I've heard it with other people too. You know, like, you get, when you're too old, it's too late now. Now I get it. You know, like, I just, you know, like, when you're at desktop, when you understand yeah, but, the. Yeah, but you know it now. It's not too late. Hey, I'm really looking forward to um, whatever you're going to do. I definitely think you should do that tour. I mean, that really does oh, no, sound we are. like that would be great. Hey, but thank you so much well, for, for talking to me today. Oh, he, summary. oh, he's just hilarious. You know how back in the days he used to be super cool. It was all about keeping it real. And we serious. Oh, super serious. Very serious. He's crazy. I mean, but in a fun way, right? In a really good way. He's super chatty. A very sweet, sweet man. I mean, it's kind of like he's got that kind of, you know, lovable rogue thing about him. You know, he's kind of like, there's no... Any struggles? Any struggles? What do you mean? Any struggles? In, 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 his, in like his career and did he sort of shed light on any sort of well, I mean, toughness in his journey? Yeah. 
Yes, um, just the whole, you know, we were talking about before the interview, me and you were talking about the fact that he was a scratcher and really into his vinyl. And, and so mm -hmm. that has been quite hard for him to slowly let go of that. I mean, he really had to let go of that. And then the slack he was getting at the end when he did let go of it. And so that was tricky. Um, I know he really struggled with lockdown, um, found that very hard and uh, started yeah. to work with puppets just to kind of entertain himself and to do something silly and uh, and yeah to get through lockdown and now he is he's really rekindled his his old love for music they've rebuilt the um the sound system that he started with mm. um with um shut up and dance, shut up and dance. right so they've got yeah. the sound system back in the in the studio again and they've been listening to all the old records and he says his old passion has really returned so he's working on music right now and i'm very excited to hear what it's going to be he says strangely enough he's he's quite insecure now so i hope uh, i told him don't overthink it just do it get it out there because i mean come on he's he's the don it's going to be good you know it's going to be good yeah no nope. a lot of fun